The time has come for America to hear the truth. We are going to stand with them, and not only are we going to fight for their rights, but we're going to stand up for our rights here, in our state, in our homes, and in our community. States of America is not going to be decided in the courts. It's not going to be decided in Congress. It's not going to be decided on talk radio, and it sure is not going to be decided on Fox News. Solidarity forever. Solidarity forever. Solidarity Tennessee Valley, this is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, here with my co-hosts and fellow agitators David Story and Adam Keller. It is Saturday, April 24th, 2021, and we're broadcasting live online and on the radio on WVNN in the Huntsville, Decatur, Athens listening area from Athens, Alabama. A recording of this program will play tomorrow, Sunday, April 25th, 2021 on the great WGOL in Russellville, Alabama, and sometime next week on WHIV in New Orleans, Louisiana. Today, we are coming to you commercial-free, courtesy of the Alabama AFL-CIO. So get the number ready if you want to call us. It's 866-494-9866. Again, the number is 866-494-9866. We are talking today to Brendan O'Connor, member of the Strike Wave Collective Editorial Board, about his new book, Blood Red Lines, How Nativism Fuels the Right. We'll be talking about the defeat of a charter school bill, the police review in Huntsville, and more on today's Valley Labor Report. Uh, So remember, folks, the North Alabama DSA has a necessities drive this Saturday from 3 to 5 p.m. at the IBEW Local 558 Union Hall on Clinton Avenue, right across from Yellowhammer and Campus 805. So bring by your non-perishable food items, your PPE, clothes, blankets, all that stuff, and your donations will be forwarded to the Mana House. Uh, if you want to see what we are up to throughout the week and get our snide quips about the news of the day, then you should follow us on social media. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Valley Labor Report. We're on Twitter at Labor Reporters. I'm on Twitter at Jacob M underscore A-L. David is on Twitter at Radical Unionist. That's spelled R-A-D-I-C-L Unionist. If you missed part of the show and want to go back and watch it later, you can search YouTube for the Valley Labor Report and subscribe to our channel. You can go back and watch the full show there, and we clip segments that we release throughout the week, so you can just watch one topic or see you know, something that finds interesting. We've got our whole catalog of shows on our YouTube channel. We do upload the program on more than 11 different podcasting apps, so to see if we are on your listening platform of choice, you can go to the Valley Labor Report .transistor.fm slash subscribe. We've got a website where you can buy our fantastic union-made hats, our union-made stickers, our union-made bumper stickers. It is thevalleylaborreport.org. We had uh, two more hat orders this week, so that is great. Looking for more next week. If you appreciate our work and want to keep us on the air, then finally, you can consider throwing us a couple dollars a month on patreon.com slash thevalleylaborreport. Our guest today is Brendan O'Connor. 
He is a member of the Strike Wave Editorial Collective, a journalist, a reporter, a union member, a labor organizer. Uh, Brendan, thank you for your time. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. We are glad to have you. So um, let's start off so, so that we can get, get to know you a little more, so the audience can get to lo- know you a little more. You're a union member. What union are you a member of? And like, what has been your relationship to the labor movement? Like, how did you come into the labor movement? What, you know, what, what have you kind of done over your career of, of labor activism that, that's, you know, maybe particularly interesting? For sure, yeah. Um, so it is my it is my great honor to be a member of the uh, National Writers Union. Um, I, what my first union was the I was a member of the Writers Guild of America East. Um, I so I live in New York. I had been a freelance journalist for a few years before getting hired as a staff writer at a website that no longer exists um, called Gawker. Uh, that was my first union job um, and. <clears throat> I quickly became um, very involved in helping to, you know, organize the organize the shop outside of our contract struggle. Um, you know, taking on lots of different shop floor uh, shop floor fights. Uh, I eventually became co chair of the unit, um, and probably our, you know, our big struggle was uh, after a few years of that. I we were threatened with uh, pretty massive budget cuts um, and the company was threatening to lay off scores of our unit members. Um, and after a pretty protracted struggle, we were able to get them to you know, change the layoffs into very healthy severance packages um, mm-hmm. offered as buyout, buyouts that people could opt into. Um, and that way, People who wanted to leave were able to leave under pretty favorable conditions, and then ultimately nobody got laid off involuntarily, which was uh, a pretty a pretty good win because a lot of our yeah. members live in New York. Rent is very expensive here, so even a couple more months of rent money makes a huge difference in people's lives. Um, after leaving that job, I became a member of the National Writers Union, um, which organizes a lot of freelance, part-time, precariously employed uh, media workers. And so that's where that's where I that's where I am now. Do work or organizing on that part of the, that part of the industry. Yeah, yeah, and that's I mean that's super important. Or, organizing the the uh, you know freelancers and gig workers and and mm-hmm. stuff like that is just I mean that that is so incredibly important. Um, and one of the reasons why it's so important to pass the Pro Act, uh, despite mm-hmm. some you know some some Twitter free <laughs> ostensibly Twitter freelancers. Um, uh, uh, saying to the contrary so yeah um, we could we could do a whole hour on that yeah no, yeah let's yeah let's not yeah what, not. what one day one day maybe next month we will uh, we'll have you back and maybe some other freelancers to talk about the pro act because there's some wow there's some misinformation about the pro act and how it's going to affect freelancers well and plus an important takeaway from from listening to him was the fact that you know, they went from being be, basically being screwed to negotiating mm-hmm. a fair, you know, reasonable right. uh, departure from that. And and unfortunately, I've really not kept up with the with the riders industry mm-hmm. and the unions up until the past year, year and a half when we started doing our show. 
and uh man it has become like the automotive industry of yeah. the of the 90s 80s and 90s it's that's that is a brutal industry to be yeah. in well the new yorker is like uh, i mean this is the new yorker is like a legacy magazine you know they're they're like oh you get to write for the new yorker that's pretty crazy and they're starting staff writer salaries they wanted to start their staff writer salaries at like forty thousand a year in new york city that's insane like that's a that's like an entry-level gig in huntsville alabama yeah i mean i oh man it's it's just crazy so yeah. anyway, we won't we, go yeah we, we can go off on tangents all yeah, day yeah, long Brendan, uh, <laughs> so needless to say you're in a precarious industry but yes. you, the the book was unbelievable i've only made us told jacob yesterday i've only made it through i think uh midway through chapter six i'm a terrible i don't i mean compared mm-hmm. to other people I generally read a chapter and I make it about halfway into the second chapter and then I go back and read mm-hmm. the first chapter again because I'm like I missed something. Yeah. So, and maybe, yeah. my, but I'll I'll reread a chapter at least twice, most of the time three times. So I'm about halfway through your book, and it's amazing, you know. And it's mm-hmm. and it's I would say it's amazing. It's exactly what I expected, but you cover it in so much more detail than anyone that I have seen. Uh, cover uh, what's happened you know the past i would say the past 20 to 30 years uh but but, i I appreciate you saying so yeah i mean it it is anybody that wants to learn about the this the border crossings the uh what what we would call undocumented workers in america and how Mm -hmm the system has been rigged and uh, to screw them specifically mm-hmm. uh and I, I, i'd seen you on majority report and 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 all and you know in all fairness i watched the show on the majority report and and generally speaking i hate any discussion about this because i'm an old school unionist uh I grew up. I'm, i grew up in a union family it's very much protectionism very you know uh, to typically the type of people that you were speaking about mm-hmm. except for it wasn't about racism it was more about we're protecting our jobs we're protecting right. you know our family's legacy and things like that well talk about i mean r- real quick talk about how you you were in you, you went down to mexico to train people on machines yeah. that were taken yeah. from union out of factories the in yeah, yeah. i mean talk- i had to, yeah i had to go install the equipment that we uprooted in america and took them to monterey mexico and saltillo mexico and torreon mexico and install and train the workers down there so me particular i have and that's kind of why that's what i told jacob it's mm-hmm. kind of why i wanted to bring you on because i see i see how this has been used mm-hmm. politically and economically both politically you know the politicians play both sides to their debt to the undocumented workers detriment and economically they're played both ways but i wanted to bring you on mainly because i want to talk through what's going on and try to get people like me more i don't know what i'm the word i'm looking for but more aware of you know, it may be more acceptable, acceptable of what's happening as opposed to just saying to hell with these people, because that's basically been my been my mantra for, for you know, for, for life. And, and I don't think it's fair to us. I don't think it's fair to them. Mm-hmm. So 
and, and that's what a fuck. What a ooh. What a terrible intro to ask you to speak about your book, but that's kind of where I'm at. I'm like, yeah, this is this guy's the most researched that I've read. Mm-hmm. He's a, by far the most intelligent person that I've heard speaking. So could, yeah, talk, and not to divert from your book, but also I think it's important to combine the two and mm-hmm. say this is what's going on with this ultra right wing proud boys that you know the the idiots of yeah. america but there's also a, a gigantic subsection of america that are truly dedicated unionists that feel the, the same way just not for the same reasons yeah yeah lay out the lay out the thesis of your book and then like speak to that speak to what david was saying because that's like that's such an you know there, like like david said there are people that are like that they're they're not in good faith and they're like legitimately like like nativist and and like just just really real like like you know kind of uh uh just just terrible um thoughts about brown people but then the, you know there there are people like david said that have like legitimate economic concerns about this kind of stuff so what what is blood red lines how nativism fuels the right and how would you talk to somebody like david about this yeah. All right. Okay. So that's a lot, <laughs> so, to, yeah, that's a lot to tackle here. <laughs> uh, but no, the, I, I I appreciate you kind of laying out where where you're coming from, um, and I I do hope that the book is able to you know reach an audience like like yourself. Um, okay. So so stepping back, what what is this book about? Um, my book, Blood Red Lines: How Nativism Fuels the Right is an attempt to understand um, the array of forces that mobilize and benefit from anti-immigrant politics. And I think that this is a particularly important thing to try to grapple with right now because, you know, as you know, in early in the 20th century, W. E. Du Bois said that the color line is going to be the problem of the, of the 20th century. And I would argue that in the 21st century, um, borders and immigration are kind of going to be a similarly paradigmatic political problem that everyone is going like, no matter what ideological background you're coming from, everyone has to kind of reckon with the fact that around the world tens of hundreds of millions of people are already being displaced and are going to be displaced by the economic environmental and political upheavals that we're already living through this is our, this is already happening yeah. and it's going to change the way that politics works in the united states and and in elsewhere and and elsewhere and the reason that I'm I'm focusing on, <clears throat> excuse me, the way that the the Republican Party and the far right think about these questions and approach these questions is um, because I think you know I I, I, I kind of I'll I'll be clear like I I do not share these I I do not share these ideas um, but I think it's important to understand. Right. Uh, the logic underlying um, this kind of nativist ideology 
because as you, as you said, you know, I am, you know, I'm a unionist. I believe in the power of, of an organized working class to bring, um, bring about a more, a more just and equal society. And that will require kind of being able to reach across racial, ethnic, and national divisions. Um, and, you know, the, the bosses and the, the ruling class um, work very hard to make sure that that doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, and, so, and so to your question about like, all right, so how do we, how do we think about folks who have a kind of intuitive sympathy to the idea that it is worth protecting you know, is protecting good union jobs in the United States is worth protecting, um, protecting the, 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 the gains and the victories that, that the labor, labor movement and the working class have, have won here. That's, that's absolutely true. I, 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 am I'm, I'm 100% with you on that. And I, and I understand, um, why intuitively it might make sense that, well, if that's where you're coming from, you might say, well, then why should why shouldn't we have stricter um, controls on on immigration? Why shouldn't we be very careful about how many, um, you know, expanding the size of, of, of the workforce? Because wouldn't that doesn't that push wages down? Like if there are more people than there are jobs, that's not good for workers. Um, and intuitively, that do, that does make sense. But what we've seen there's a couple there's a couple of ways that i would respond to that and one of those is that there's been a lot of research by sociologists and economists on this very question and outside of a kind of select ideologically driven few the scholarship just shows that that simply just doesn't happen and Part of why that doesn't happen is because when there are more, because of the way that capitalism works, when there are more workers in the aggregate, that and that also means there are more consumers. Right. And so people who are working more have more money to spend. Um, also, you know, because undocumented workers, uh, they end up paying into the system, but they can't access social services. So that there's actually a a, a net a like this isn't a good thing, gain. but there is a net benefit yeah. to, to to that part of the labor force for the um, for those kinds of costs. Yeah, and um, I completely agree with you. I think that's one of the reasons that it hasn't been solved. The the issue right. hasn't been solved, and I think it's a manufactured issue. But yeah. uh, uh, the issue hasn't been resolved yet because I I truly believe both sides of the government knows that that there's a tremendous benefit of these workers paying into the system for a lifetime and not 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 benefiting it at all. But I, yeah. stepping back, I think we sh- should also, in the context of the conversation make everyone completely aware because we are on a a conservative talk radio show even though we are you know uh or a radio station i'll say even though we're more of left-leaning unionist mentality that the workers that are coming here are not doing so because america is the greatest country in the world 
the workers are coming here because you know the the, the the neoliberal policies that's been put in place mainly during bill clinton's era along mm-hmm. with a republican a mostly republican congress but a, a democratic president and has and has and allowed Bush, capital and Obama, yeah and, and mean, has allowed capital to take over mm-hmm. uh essentially the resources that were that were granted to them in the const into their in their constitution. So I think it's important to point out that these people aren't coming because of what what you hear on this radio station on every other talk show because it's mm-hmm. the greatest country in the world. They're being forced here because right. they're displaced from their home country. Yeah, it's much right. less of a of a pull to the U.S. and a push from their home countries. And here here's an interesting fact: there's a there's a country in Africa that that um, has the the uh like literally the majority of the world's diamond or, or gold mines the majority of the world's gold mines but they don't have any gold reserves why is that because france owns all the gold mines there and and france has like literally the world's most in gold reserves and and it's it's literally france is sucking currently today uh, gold natural resources from the people of this country and so that's like the most one of the most explicit examples of, of colonialism that, that we can see today is still operating much less you know you've got the historical legacy of that um, and then the, you know the United States has done uh, uh, things like that in, in Central and South America overthrowing uh, democratically elected governments that want to take control of their natural resources from you know western imperialist forces and use them for the good of their citizens as opposed to allowing their citizens to be subjected to the imperialist forces of the United States and other in other places and so when the United States goes in there overthrows these governments creates a coup there's all sorts of you know there are power vacuums uh, we we fund death squads i mean it's it's like the the situation that both parties have created in these countries you know i i mean david mentioned bill clinton we can go back to reagan we can go back to carter obama bush i mean it's every all of them have just destroyed central and south america I and mean, and you know brendan i don't know if there's anything else that you want to add to the to the push factor there that that um these people are feeling well i would say the the other all, all of that is is absolutely is absolutely true and i think that what we are going to see as the 21st century progresses is that uh, the climate change will also be a push factor. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, with the combination of droughts and flooding and hugely destructive storms, um, it is going to be, it's already difficult to have a kind of stable, comfortable life in many parts of the global South. And this, you know, and, and the climate crisis um, is only going to add to that chaos, uh, and so that is another that is a that is another push factor. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and one of the things that you really brought out in your book, and maybe you could speak to, we got about five minutes left in this segment was and 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 is what we come to expect out of out of all of these uh, manufactured catastrophes i guess it's probably not the best word but it's the one that comes to mind is the fact that there's a lot of people profiting you know uh Mm -hmm. and uh the that and i I guess probably you didn't go into it real in depth on the majority report but when i 
purchase your book and started reading. I was my. I, it's, it's, it shouldn't have come as a surprise because there's always a profit, you know, from capitalism. Whenever there's some kind of uh, uh, some kind of uh, issue, I will say instead of a catastrophe. But uh, the amount of people profiting off of off of this and the the trade. What did, what were the what's the word? I'm mean, the trade. Uh, Expos. Uh, I mean, it's just it's the same thing we we see with the military expos and the, mm-hmm. just the tons of money, the mm-hmm. outpouring of money that's gone in to keep this supposed border control in place. Uh, could you could you kind of talk about that? Uh, because I think a lot of people have you know you in Alabama especially we hear build a wall build a wall build a wall but people have no clue the amount of money that the government mm-hmm. resources is being spent on all this hokey horse crap uh, to protect, supposedly protect a border yeah so I mean there's the kind of initial layer of profit that uh, industries that employ migrant labor and particularly undocumented labor benefit from. And that's benefit that is accrued over decades of of uh, degrading the strength of unions and degrading the strength of organized labor and making it so that, you know, they can charge or that they can pay starvation wages uh, in, you know, in construction and agri- agriculture and in various service industries. So that's one layer of profit. But then there's another layer of profit to be gained from the regulation and control and enforcement of these immigration policies. Um, and part of the reason why I think that the that the Trump administration's efforts to build a, you know, a big spectacular beautiful wall is that there's actually not that much money to be made in a big concrete wall there's a lot more money to be made in selling drones and artificial intelligence surveillance programs and all of the mobile the mobile units all the, the 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 military hardware there's just more money to be made in that um and that is in part i think why many establishment Democrats are so amenable to this compromise solution is because they know that this just keeps, this keeps this industry going. And this is an industry that is flourishing all over the world because the politics of border enforcement, uh, as, as these push factors continue to grow that we were just talking about, the politics of, 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 of border enforcement are only becoming more and more salient. And so there's more and more money to be made. This is an industry that is worth hundreds of billions of dollars. Yeah. Yeah. And when we talk about money being made, of course, we're talking about our taxpayer dollars right. being spent. Right. You know, the, 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 it's not coming out of the benevolence of the companies, you know. It, when you when 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 me when I as a person look at what threat, uh, if any, uh, an undocumented worker is to me, and then I look at what the threat of a continuous mm-hmm. funding this this insanity, just like the insane wars that's been going on for the last twenty years, the the cost is enormous, and and there's yeah. no benefit to either side to fix this issue because there's lobbyists up there. That, that that are getting paid just like Boeing, just like Lockheed have been for the last twenty years in Afghanistan, Iraq, and everywhere else around the world. But this is another. But like you say, 
this is another thing that's not going away that we need to be talking about and we need to address you know the sooner the better yep mm-hmm. folks uh you are listening to the valley labor report we're talking to brendan o'connor author of blood red lines we will be right back talk to him some more after this break stay tuned if you're listening online be sure to like and subscribe Huntsville's number one news, talk, and weather station. WVNN FM. WVNN FM Trinity. A cumulus station. It's 10 o'clock. From ABC News. I'm Brian Clark. The use of Johnson & Johnson's coronavirus vaccine can resume. The CDC and FDA lifted the 11-day pause while studying reports of blood clots. Dr. Henry Bernstein was part of the CDC's advisory panel. This event of... Blood clots and low platelets is extraordinarily rare, and the benefits of uh, the vaccine are uh, huge. Fifteen women out of about eight million people who got the vaccine got blood clots. Three died. Information sheets will now be distributed to providers about those blood clots. CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky said, The American public should feel reassured about the safety systems and protocols that we have in place around the COVID-19 vaccines. More protests are planned for today in Columbus, Ohio, after the fatal police shooting of a black teenager. ABC's Trevor Alt is there. Protesters taking to the streets each night since Bryant's death. The city's public safety director now asking for patience and empathy, saying the black community is emotionally exhausted. And in their grief, Micaiah Bryant's family is adamant this final incident does not define her. She was a very loving girl. She loved her family, and her family loved her so much. She was a black teenager seen on police body camera video wielding a knife at another girl. President Biden's infrastructure plans may have suffered a setback Friday when Democratic Senator Joe Manchin, a key vote, said the bill should focus on conventional projects like roads, bridges and rails and should be passed in a bipartisan manner. I think this is truly a bipartisan effort. We're working in a bipartisan way to put a good infrastructure bill. We can take care of the needs of our country and we can do it in a responsible way. President spoke by phone with the president of Turkey amid reports he plans to classify the massacre of 1.5 million Armenians a century ago as a genocide. You're listening to ABC News. How clean is your nose? Most airborne germs and allergens invade through the nose, your body's air filter, its first line of defense. You wash your hands and brush your teeth, but what about your nose? Did you know there's an easy way to keep your nose clean and help your body protect itself? It's called Navage Nasal Care. Navage uses powered suction to clean your nose by flushing out pollen, mucus, bacteria, and viruses. Millions use Navage for fast, all-natural relief from sinus congestion and allergies and to breathe better, sleep deeper, snore less, and feel healthier without drugs. Navage is easy to use, affordable, and it comes with an absolute guarantee of satisfaction. And 50,000 independent online reviews averaging 4.7 stars show just how much people love their Navage. You wash your hands and brush your teeth every day. Now you can clean your nose and help protect your health with Navage. At Navage.com, CVS, Walgreens, Bed Bath & Beyond, Target, and Rite Aid. Navage. N-A-V-A-G-E. Make good nasal hygiene your new normal with Navage. Clean nose, healthy. Hey y'all, are you tired of hearing that the South is just a bunch of racist rednecks? Or tune in to Dixieland of the Proletariat podcast. We talk about Southern working class history and current events through a leftist perspective. Join Nelson, Senior Telecommunications Director Tommy, Comrade Kate, former pig farmer Tyler, and Brother William, wherever you stream your podcasts. And good Lord willing, the creek don't rise. We'll see you all next time.
It's Dixieland of the Proletariat, y'all. News Talk 770 AM, 92.5 FM, WVNN. Put it there, boy, we'll show these fascists what a couple of hillbillies can do. All right. All right. We're third time's the charm. Welcome back to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-hosts, David Story and Adam Keller. We are talking to Brendan O'Connor, author of Blood Red Lines, how uh, nativism fuels the right. And uh, he's been laying out some some really good stuff about um, about just how much money um it, it, it is being made by uh, by the the so-called uh, crisis at the border, both in terms of exploitation of undocumented workers and in terms of uh, of contractors like Lockheed Martin and things like that. Well, they're not. Making, they, yeah, well, I mean, I brought them like up. Them. Yeah, yeah exactly. contractors like them uh, making drones and things like that. And so that's why maybe you know. Uh, 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 Calls by Democrats to make a smart wall may not be so, or they are not as altruistic and and human hu- humanistic as, as maybe they would want you to think. Um, both in terms of their effect and in terms of of the of the reasoning behind it. But let, let talk about the um, really quick if, if you could talk about the the uh, the way that it it benefits. Um, Industries that exploit undocumented workers to have a this nativist and xenophobic backlash against undocumented workers because you know we know we know that there are entire industries in this country that would completely fall apart if like if Trump had actually followed through on his promise to deport 12 13 million undocumented workers the the whole economy would be wrecked but specifically there are certain industries that would just have gone bankrupt um, people would have lost billions of dollars and so these are industries Industries that need these undocumented workers, but they also fund nativist and xenophobic uh, movements, and and so there there would there's an ostensible yeah there's an ostensible contradiction there. Can you help us work through how it's not a contradiction? Yeah, I mean, I think. I mean, I think that it is it is a contradiction, but it is a contradiction that is that resolved that is resolved in ways that benefit the bosses and the capitalists, which is which is to say that if you are a let's say you are a, you know, an employer in 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 big agriculture, um, you have for many years benefited from. The fact that many of your workers are are undocumented, which means that um, they are less able to avail themselves of the already very, very few protections that are offered to to workers in this country and especially farm workers in this country. Um, but you know, you still like you still need those workers. You need those you need you need those workers around. Your whole business model runs on the fact that. Um, you don't have to pay them very much, or you can pay them for for piecework, um, and those you know those wages will fluctuate over 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 time. Um, but you also benefit from the fact that there is a political climate in which those 
those workers and their families are denigrated and demonized and treated as less than human. Um, and not just in terms of like rhetoric and discourse, but there's a whole political apparatus yeah. that is designed to specifically repress <laughs> the repress migrant workers. Um, and this creates a climate of, of paralysis and fear. And I can't tell I can't tell you how many stories I have heard over the course of my years of reporting about bosses and managers threatening to call ICE when mm, yeah. workers march on the boss yeah. or start talking about unionizing or organizing uh, when they hear about workers, you know, going to maybe there's a local worker center that they they hear that workers have been talking to. Um, this is a this is a way of managing and controlling the workforce. Yeah. And this, you know, so there is a contradiction, um, but it is one that is that is ultimately productive and profitable. Um, but it's also unstable. And I think that that's what we're seeing over the past couple of years is that the way that these contradictions get resolved uh, is becoming less predictable, basically. It, yeah, and we've seen the same. You know, we, we've talked about, and uh, I think it was a poultry plant in Mississippi to yeah. where they yeah. won a I, tremendous amount of back wages. I mean, like in the millions. No, 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 no. It was what it was. I, and, and I bring it up. I bring this specific thing up constantly because it's so, like, it's so gross. But what happened was in August of, of 2019, um, there was a raid on a Mississippi poultry yeah. plant that deport that that they arrested 600 people while they were on the job, and it was immediately after they won a 2.5 million dollar sexual harassment lawsuit. Sexual, yeah, okay. Lawsuit. And it was a tremendous yeah, amount of money. A tremendous amount of money uh, for sexual harassment that the union won immediately after they won that uh, lawsuit. Um, the workers the, are deported. yeah. The workers are deported, and it's like that's not a coincidence it's yeah. not a coincidence at all and if you don't think that hurts you know it's not only undocumented workers in that facility there are also u.s born workers in that facility and if you think that is beneficial to them and their working environment and their ability to advocate for themselves for higher wages and better working conditions you're a fool you know i mean it doesn't it doesn't just affect undocumented workers it affects us as well and that's you know and i think that's a good good way to like brendan how would you uh you know when you're talking to folks that may say things that 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 folks would think are are let's say problematic or you know think things like that but it it doesn't come from a place of actual hatred it comes <clears throat> from a place that they've been propagandized to believe that these people are the reasons that their wages are low or their wages are not increasing um and and they've been they've even used there's been union rhetoric aimed at these people calling these people scabs you know like mm -hmm. and, and in some places they've actually functioned as scabs right how do you talk to folks and and get them to see that uh standing with undocumented workers for their rights is like what like why should they do that does that make sense 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's a really, a really critical and, and difficult question. And I think a lot of credit does have to be given to the labor movement in the United States kind of broadly of yeah. its evolution and its change over the past five to 10 years, a little more. Tw- yeah. Yeah. I, like, I guess, yeah. Over, over the past few, I, I mean, even longer, I think over, like, I think it was in 2000 that the AFL-CIO convention committed itself to, uh, you know, protecting the rights, right of, of migrant workers, partially because they realized that, oh, actually, like, we should be organizing. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. We should be organizing these people and not condemning them as, you know, as, as scabs. Um, partly because they realized that, as it turns out, you know, you know, my, like migrant workers, um, particularly from Central and South America, are more likely to be, have favorable views of of unions and of labor movements and to join given the opportunity mm-hmm. um, than many U.S. foreign workers, um, which is, you know, something 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 to take advantage of. But to speak to a, a U.S. born worker, kind of of any race, you know, this, this is this is not something that is. These sentiments are not something that are, are limited to to well, these, white workers. Yeah, well, these sentiments by, by can be stretch. held by these sentiments can be held by even Hispanic workers. I mean, Caesar yes. Chavez, right? I mean, yeah. Caesar, yeah. Caesar Chavez. Yeah, I mean, he was like, he was like terrible to undocumented workers, you know. And he and he's like the founder of the United Farm Workers Union, right? And you know, so yeah. this there, there's a history of internationalism and, and like support for for workers of all uh, of of any. Uh, race, documentation status, or whatever, but there's also a long history of, you know, uh, it, it not even racialized, but like if you're not documented, you're not welcome, right? And so, yeah, I mean, absolutely, it's not it's not just limited to to white workers. The, this this the phenomenon that we're talking about. Well, it's more right. it's more it's more isolated now than what I mean. You, it, it, during Cesar Chavez's time, it was it was more of an acceptable idea now it's not so acceptable except for in specific regions of the united states and 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 it's these conversations and it's your book and that need to continue happening especially in the southeast united states and, and possibly the southwest as well but all over to because this isn't going away and i think that's something that you've pointed out several times this isn't going away We've got to have these conversations, and we've got to figure out one how to how to to bring people on board to make them comfortable with what's happening, but two to to honestly hold the politicians that we've elected accountable because they're they're obviously not fixing this problem either. Yeah, and you know it's like you know you were talking before about having to go down to Mexico and train workers there and how to use the equipment um, that was picked up and moved from factories from in the General States. Motors and Ford. That, yeah, yeah, like it's not, but it's not, it's not as though those workers. No, they didn't <laughs> have a choice. Factories, yeah. <laughs> like they, like they, like you know, workers wherever they are from, you know, everybody just wants. A comfortable life to take yeah. care of their family to you know not have to want for worry about where their next meal is coming from like those are the kinds of things that people can can see connections with and and when we are pitted against each other yeah. it does make it harder to see those similarities um but you know if someone takes the time to 
have a conversation and try to walk through like, you know, that, um, try to, try to walk someone through the fact that it is not the migrant worker who has broken the labor movement. (laughs) It is the fact that the labor, that the bosses broke the labor movement in order to pay migrant workers less, like in order to pay whoever less. And it just so happens that, uh, you know, that because of us colonialism and imperialism, that the jobs here are relatively better than relatively better paying than in, um, than in other parts of the hemisphere, you know, this is, this is not something that normal working people are responsible for. People are just trying to get by. Um, and, but then, you know, when people, when those people come together and fight for their interests collectively, uh, that's when a change can start to happen. Yeah, and, and, and like you said, it's important to point out that the the the, and that's kind of when I went down there. I guess early two thousands, two thousand, two thousand one, two thousand two. I spent about three years down there, and you build you build relationships with people. You begin to love people that you're around, working around constantly. People take you into their home and break bread with you, and mm-hmm. and you know, and that kind of that was a pushing point for me to recognize because prior to that i was a one you know 150 percent protectionist and that kind of opens up the door and makes you realize that that these workers didn't create the the situation that they're in it it is the in essence it is the same companies that i was working for that are that have found someone that's easier to exploit than we were and so yeah. they have decided to move there and i and that's and i feel like that is where we can begin getting over this hump is to make not to make but bring people into the thought that we are all going to have to stand together at some point it is either going to be now or it's going to be in 10 years from now but at some point we're going to have to stand together uh as one you know, and begin pushing back on these corporate, these multinational corporations now that uh, that just pick up and move from from exploitable country to exploitable country. I mean, exactly Mexico right. Mexico industry is has during the two thousands was humongous. Not so much now, right? You know, yeah. and, and but yeah, and that's a big long dialogue, uh, but. That is, I guess, what I'm trying to say is that is that was the goal to bring you on because you, and I hate to play this up, but I mean the book was very intelligently written, and you begin to see these different players all that are benefiting from this, and the and the far right, and and a lot of even the moderate right are have have gotten all of these followers or the supporters eyes kind of glazed over with these ultra right talking points and it's just i don't know you know we we hear it every day being where we're at and but we've it's it's frustrating because it's like you can when you read your book you can see 
the mm-hmm. exploitation at all levels. Yeah. But getting people to, and hopefully this radio show opens that up, getting people to 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 read more, to discuss mm-hmm. these topics more. Yeah, well, so, you know, Brendan, so let's say uh, let's say we've got a listener out there who, who started out, uh, you know, like, look, I don't have any racial animus, but I'm, like, skeptical of what you're saying, and, and, and now we've, we've brought them along, and they've, they're saying, okay, it's not these folks' fault, they're not, you know, they're not scabs, they're exploited just like me and david and 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 so what is what is the next step like we've 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 done the explanation we've set the stage like what is to be done now how like you 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 talked about like okay we need to we need to stand together and and we need to fight together as opposed to fighting each other how does that happen what are the things that what policies should be advocated for what should workers on the ground be doing to to um to educate and and to to fight this war on working people that are document documented and undocumented Mm -hmm. um yeah so i think there's i guess there's a there's a couple of there's a couple of different answers answers to that question one would be you know this this is this is a labor radio show so i'm just gonna say they should organize a union (laughs) (laughs) and fight against their boss uh together um, but it's also it's not just about organizing the workplace. It's about organizing everywhere. It's about organizing where you live, uh, where you know it, wherever you are in community, um, and there is oppression and exploitation. Um, that is an opportunity to begin to to fight back and to f- start fighting for a different world. Um, I think the other thing to say is that you know we were talking about like you know just how easy it is for GM or Ford to to pick up and leave the United States or to pick up and leave Mexico to move to move wherever they need to in order to get the best um, returns on their on their investment for whatever whatever they need and to exploit people all over the world. It's not so easy <laughs> for workers to move around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is this is this is one of the great lies of the you know far right media ecosystem. Um, it is extremely dangerous to come to the united states it is extremely difficult there we do not have open borders what we have are are is a way of funneling people into a deadly desert where thousands of people have died attempting to make a crossing now if we were to kind of think about what it would mean to invert that and to say actually you know we're everyone in the world has a right to freedom of movement but not capital. <laughs> capital yeah. has to stay put. Uh, you know, the bosses have to have to stay put and can't just decide like, all right, we're we're done here. We're going to move this move this factory at, elsewhere. Um, this this is this is something to think about fighting for. This is something to imagine um, that uh, and, and and you know not just the freedom of movement, but the freedom to stay. Most people, yeah. uh, con- again, contrary to the mythology that the United States is the greatest country in the world, most people would prefer to stay right. where they are from. Uh, it is only under extreme duress that as, tra- as traumatic and difficult and stressful a decision is made to, to pick up roots and to leave um, where you're, you're home. Like, this is not something that the majority of people in this world want to do 
Um, but it is a it is a choice that they are forced to make, and so mm-hmm. to fight for a world where that you know that where that is something that that that, is, that people aren't compelled to do um, is something is something else to fight for. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. And uh, you know, so the uh, I, I've got one more kind of topic that I'd like to talk about, and then we can. Uh, uh, we can let you go unless David, did you have something else you wanted to ask him? No, I no, no. I just and you know uh, to to bring about the point we talked with Max last week. I wasn't last week. Two weeks uh, ago, two maybe. weeks ago. And, you know, and, but we talked. You know, I brought up the Zapatistas, and that's mm-hmm. something that you know you can look at and, sh- and because what what Brandon is saying here is they're forced to move. In the case of the right. Zapatistas, they actually came together brought up arms against the government and said this is our land and you're not going to take it any longer that is the only other option that these people have is to create their Mm -hmm. own autonomous society Mm -hmm. within and and you know they uh, they've done an amazing job even though it's kind of waned a little bit but Yeah, it, it, it speaks to I, the fact that there is no yeah, there is options are many so limited. Al- there, yeah, mm-hmm. no alternatives yeah. for these folks. Yeah, so to, to wrap us up, Brendan, and, and again, thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed this. Uh, and folks, listen on, on WHIV. We're about to we're about to go. Uh, if you and then on the other on the other side of this break, we're going to be talking about some Huntsville and Alabama uh, topics. If you want to find that, you can go to YouTube, uh, find us on the Valley Labor Report, stuff like that. But um, so, Brendan, to wrap us up uh, on our conversation about your book, Blood Red Lines: How Nativism Fuels the Right. We are on, right now, a conservative talk radio station. Your book says that nativism fuels the right. How would you encourage our conservative listeners to investigate their motivations in light of your thesis, to investigate, uh, how would you encourage them to investigate who nativism benefits and why they should or shouldn't cling to their conservatism and their nativism? Yeah, well, like, we're throwing just, a lot of yeah, curve. Yeah, yeah. just and, so and, and just in four and a half minutes, I want you to do that. I want you to change everybody's problems. mind listening to this in four minutes. Go, no pressure. Um, so I think the I think the the operative question is, as it always is, is 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 who benefits? Yeah, and we've been talking about this. Um, and and I think that you know in my encounters with I've talked to a lot of people who who are are, are conservatives of people who are on the far right. Um, this is not a question that is unfamiliar to to them is to, to ask who, who benefits from this. Uh, it's just that they have been told an answer that is wrong right <laughs> um <laughs> i agree uh, yeah, that, and, that, yeah that's real and and so like to begin to approach this question anew from the perspective that um you know from from you know we, we like I, I wouldn't necessarily lead with like this is how socialists think about this but but to think about like all right in this given situation who is who is exploiting you? Who is who is who is who is coming out ahead in this um, in this situation? And then to kind of build off of that and say, like, all right, well, if it's actually the boss and not your neighbor who who is 
it was it was coming out ahead here. Let's let's kind of let's and see where this goes. And I think that many people um, would would come to come to see the light, as it were, um, if if they took the time to have if someone took the time to have that conversation with them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I think that speaks to the importance of, of having conversations with people that are um, that you know don't have the same views, and I, I think that's something that that labor organizers, you know, folks like me and you and David, like we recognize kind of intrinsically that you know you can't you can't limit your conversations and your organizing to just people that are socialists, right? You're not going to win much right. in America if all you have on your side is socialists, and so I think you know that. I, that's a good point, I think, Brendan. And the the other the other thing too is that like you don't necessarily have to start from the principle of like, all right, I'm going to in one conversation going to turn this person into someone who fights for the the, the liberation of the international working class. Yeah, like you can just start with, all right, so this guy that you work with at the at the at the poultry uh, 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 processing plant is undocumented. Like, let's let like. Let's figure like let's let's think about how your interests are in, are aligned, and then start the struggle there, and then kind of build the struggle from there, um, rather than trying to uh, you know take on the whole ideology all at once. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's so important, and not to and not to feel discouraged if you don't change somebody's entire worldview in you know a 30 minute conversation right because you're never going to do that but if you can if you yeah. can get them thinking about the way that society works and who who's pulling the strings and who's benefiting from what who their real enemy is if you can just get them thinking just it just and they go home and they're like huh you know i wonder about that that's a win we get one of the things that really just I, and i'm baffled because my age group and we've talked about it numerous times are so anti-authoritarian. The mm-hmm. Gen Xers, uh, you know, my, my age group, just absolutely hated government and everything to do with it. And now they're the mm-hmm. most bootlickingest. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's like, and you buy into all of this horse crap. And I believe if we could just get back to some of that anti-authoritarianism, that maybe they could see that they're being lied to uh, all from both sides both yeah. sides yeah, what, ha- what, hap- what happened to you guys <laughs> yeah. I don't know I, I'm still here but I'm one of the very uh, the last ones it seems like I don't know yeah yeah well Brendan thank you so much you can find Brendan's book on Haymarket haymarket.com or .org is it dot yeah. com, uh, dot com or dot org? I don't know. Hey Google Haymarket. Hey find Blood Red Lines, How Nativism Fuels the Right. Folks on WHIV, if you want to see the rest of the show, find us on YouTube. Folks that are listening on air or on YouTube, stick around. We will be right back. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. This is News Talk 770 AM, 92.5 FM, WVNN. News starts now. The CDC and FDA saying Johnson & Johnson vaccinations can resume immediately after being halted for more than a week. The single-shot vaccine now coming with a warning. Dr. Henry Bernstein of Cohen Children's Medical Center in New York was on the CDC advisory panel, which voted to... 
we will continue to monitor the safety of the vaccine as more and more doses are administered. There are now 15 known reports of blood clots possibly linked to the vaccine of nearly 8 million shots given. More protests expected today in Columbus, Ohio, following the fatal police shooting this week of a black teen who was swinging a knife at another girl. 16-year-old Micaiah Bryant shot multiple times. North Carolina's governor urging swift release of police body cam footage following the fatal shooting of Andrew Brown Jr., the black man killed at his home earlier this week. New crew members welcomed to the International Space Station this morning. They arrived aboard a SpaceX Dragon capsule. Dave Packer, ABC News. WVNN. Depend on it. is Jacob Morrison here with my co-hosts David Story and Adam Keller. We just got through talking to Brendan O'Connor, a member of the editorial collective at Strike Wave. You can find more of their work there. Um, and, uh, and his book, Blood Red Lines, How Nativism Fuels the Right. Uh, and uh, How Nativism Fuels the Right. You can find that on Haymarket. Uh, Haymarket is a bookstore. You can find them online, haymarket.com or haymarket.org. I'm not exactly sure, uh, but definitely want to get it from there instead of Amazon because Haymarket is a good bookstore. So you should go there. You should find their stuff and um, find Blood Red Lines by Brendan O'Connor and read it because it's good. So and go check out Strikewave. Strikewave is great. Yeah, we've talked to we've talked to the AFGE and Machinist Union copycat duo, um, Douglas, Douglas Williams, Williams and Brian Conley. Brian Conley. Yeah. Yes, Conley. Yeah. They. They. Uh, what an awesome last name. Yeah, I know. Yes, they um they they got to um they they saw us, me and David, being Machinist Union and and AFGE duo, and they were like, oh hey, we're gonna do that. Um, we started it. Don't let them lie to you. Uh, so, but, it, but but Strikewave is a Strikewave great organization is if you yes. want to keep up with the labor movement. Yes, and it's important to support these outlets. Mm-hmm. They, I mean, mm-hmm. Strikewave mm-hmm. is completely run by uh you know labor. Uh, activists yep. and there is no corporation behind them they're a collective mm-hmm. and they do great work put out yes. a lot of good stuff yep so uh adam keller is you know he is he is our new co-host and uh he and david watched the last um the the, the last uh city council meeting that had the police review by the uh hpcac and so uh i wasn't able to watch that uh adam actually read most of the report i think or quite a lot of the report and so they're gonna uh so adam i'm gonna throw it to you what happened uh what what happened at the city council meeting what did the report say uh you know all all that kind of stuff just kind of break it down for us sure and let's catch people up that this, this report was commissioned after the June 1st and June 3rd uh, Black Lives Matter protests in downtown Huntsville. 
if you remember, that's when peaceful protesters were met with tear gas and rubber bullets and pepper spray and unnecessary arrest. Beanbags. It was it was a police riot. Yeah. By any you know mm-hmm. uh, rational definition. Yeah. So. Uh, in, in response to activist backlash, the council commissioned this independent report uh, through the advisory committee. They had a couple of independent attorneys to assist them. And uh, unfortunately, the mayor and the city of Huntsville leadership took the approach that we can't have any conversations about policing or criminal justice, much less what happened on those two nights until the report's finished. Mm. A so, year later. Yeah, yeah so a almost year a year later, we've been waiting for this report so that uh, you know city council members and others could take their muzzle off and actually talk to the community publicly about how to make change in Huntsville. So the report came out. It's over 250 pages, I believe. Uh, haven't read every every word yet, but I've dived in quite a bit. I know many of our fellow activists have been doing the same. I want to, you know, give some credit that the report does not paint Huntsville in a very favorable light. Uh, and there were multiple agencies involved on those two nights, in particular June 3rd, where it got really, really ugly. You'd had uh, Madison Police Department, you had Madison County Sheriffs, and you had Aaliyah uh, State Troopers who State who came in. And in fact, if you know, if you remember, there was a lot of talk about outside agitators. I mean, the only outside agitators yeah. were the state troopers coming up here, uh, ready to bust heads. So, you know, I do give credit that the report did find quite a bit of, of, of facts. They reviewed a lot of body cam footage. They did solicit opinions from, from the uh, community. They interviewed people who were there. Interestingly enough, not a single Huntsville police officer was interviewed uh, because uh, – more or less, the city they of Huntsville made to. sure that that didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it sounded like, from from what from what I took away from it, it sounded like the city attorney had advised the police uh, department that they could speak if they chose to in their own uh, accord, but that they would be given up their rights that are protected by the you know the uh, constitution. And basically, he was saying, if y'all talk to them and you get a lawsuit, you're on your own. Is what it kind of sounded like to me, you know, yeah. and 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 rightfully so because the report, I think they said, was 284, 85 pages. The report was very uh, intensive. The report was very damning for the police department because they had body cam, you know, regardless of talking to the police, they had this body cam footage of the police saying some pretty, some pretty damning things, uh, on, on, on their body cams. And Uh, as well as evidence of when, uh, some cops caught themselves realizing they were on, they had body cams and cut them off. Yeah. Uh, are conveniently covered up their body cams and badge numbers. So, you know, I think, there was no cooperation from the sheriff from Madison City uh, or from the state troopers. So we're still waiting to hear. I mean, if, if we're ever going to get anything from Sheriff Kevin Turner, I uh, would love to hear what he has to say about this because, you know, a, as a classic technique, they everyone likes to pass the buck. Yeah. Right. So City of Huntsville wants to say, well, really, we weren't the worst guys. The worst guys were these other agencies that they brought in that, that they, they brought specifically in specifically brought in. 
So I know there's been some uh, some legitimate criticism of the report and the committee's, um, you know, maybe lack of teeth for for lack of a better phrase. I think there's truth to that. But even what what did come through is still pretty damning, as you said. And you know, I, I pulled out some quotes. That I just want to read this. This was the night of June 1st in Huntsville, downtown Huntsville, the smart city, allegedly, the progressive star of Alabama. Quote, one officer was heard saying he hopes the protest is shown on the news and people realize they cannot play around in Huntsville because they don't play nice in Huntsville. And he was specifically talking about the police don't play nice. Oh, ab- this, yeah. yes. This was a police officer speaking to another police officer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and like, remember... There was not a single instance of even so much as property damage, much less violence, by the protesters in Huntsville. The only property damage happened because of a stray police uh, uh, police bullet. round, rubber bullet or something, yeah. uh, that then the protesters raised money for and donated to the business. The police didn't raise money for it. The community did. The community that was out there protesting. The police damaged the property. I mean, like, like by the definition of this new riot bill that's that's being pushed through, quote-unquote, riot bill, it's a BS, anti-protest, anti-First Amendment bill. If you want to find out more about that, you can f- listen to our interview with Alabama Arises' Dev Wakely on our YouTube channel. But, uh, uh, you know, under that definition, the police were literally rioting in Huntsville. I mean, lit, like that's what happened last year. Except for the fact that they're not going to get arrested. Have immunity. Yeah. yeah, that's the problem. Is they yeah. have immunity for everything that they do. Yeah, right. And that's something that, as far as I know, is confirmed in this report and in the conversation at the city council that not a single person has faced any discipline for their actions on that night. Uh, are on those two nights, which included uh, pepper spraying yeah. people who were running away. It included shooting people with rubber bullets. Ripping um, apart the calf of one person. I, yeah, yes. that's my, that was my friend. That was my that's friend. I know man. him. He couldn't walk literally for months. Like there was a, yeah, I mean, you were, it, it's it's the fellow that used to come with us. Yeah. Um, he, he's now in, he's now in Michigan, but he, uh, he, he, he like, um, he, I had asked him to come on a picket line with us and he still couldn't walk straight like yeah. months later. Yeah, it was, the, 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 the it it really speaks to the this this mentality that they have of being above the law they are truly they they're unaccountable to anyone and 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 i think one one of the things that and and maybe you can speak some more to this because i don't live in Huntsville i just watched it because it was interesting but one of the my, one of my biggest takeaways was the fact that we can that uh, there's no accountability to the Huntsville Police Department f- f- from the people because we can call in Madison County or we can call in the state troopers and guess what? They don't have to follow the same rules that we have to follow and they don't have to answer to who whoever is running the city and they don't have to answer to the citizens right that, that they've perpetrated these these atrocities against. right and something that you said adam is that they're not these these places the, these these agencies aren't 
cooperating or some of them are not cooperating with the investigation and like what would a cop say to you if they were just asking questions and they pulled you over uh you know like oh what are you hiding something like well, that's not all- only are they not cooperating the problem is Huntsville had the, the police chief mm-hmm. has specifically said no rubber bullets mm-hmm. well guess yeah, what right they were there used. Madison brings in rubber bullets, starts Somebody shooting people. Did. Madison, it was yeah. confirmed well, it was Madison County Sheriff's, and and there's no accountability, even though supposedly the city of Huntsville is supposed to be, uh, you know, the response to this. You know, I think the police chief McMurray wanted it both ways. I think yeah. Mayor Tommy Battle wanted it both ways. McMurray wanted to say it was his operation, mm-hmm. uh, but you know. Only the good parts, of course. Uh, McMurray said that he did not agree with the use of armed snipers on the roof of the courthouse looking through their rifle scopes at Mm. innocent civilians on our streets. Yeah, I mean, what was one of the first things, you know, and I thought about that when they said that because I'm a very active firearm owner. One of the first things whenever I'm training somebody on firearm usage is never point a weapon at something you're not ready to kill it is just as plain and simple as that and the fact that there were people with their rifles pointed into the crowd really speaks to the lack of of the they should the lack of concern for no, not human concern life. not yes. concern but the fact that they shouldn't even be a firearm owner yes the police if should you not and i know this a, is a, a couple country guys raised growing up yeah. you know, growing up with shotguns and rifles right. we know this yeah. this is their job yeah. and why the hell does madison the city of madison have snipers mm-hmm. this isn't fallujah yeah we're talking about a bunch of peaceful folks the yeah. violence was initiated by the police so to you know to to follow up on that point though you know chief mcmurray says he didn't agree with snipers on the roof okay so well, what's the consequences you know so you didn't have control right so you can invite these agencies into the city of huntsville's limits but then they're out of your hands at that point well what he's claiming is the exact same thing that he's claiming against the protesters what he has said about the protesters are they were outside agitators and they were losing control and and what what this report has shown is he brought in outside agitators and he completely lost control of of who he was supposed to be right he was supposed to be managing well and here's I just I, we have to hammer this home because uh, Chief McMurray and his folks spread a big lie that there were uh, Antifa that there were these radicals outside agitators. I mean, he sounded like Bull Connor. Yeah. Uh, you know, this could have been a speech from the '60s, and supposedly and he we were put up DSA North Alabama's logo on uh, on the thing where right. he was talking about uh, you know evil or violent organization. DSA North Alabama, who by the way, you hear every every week on this show. What is the their main thing that they're doing right now? They're holding a necessities drive for like to give back to the homeless community. people. Yeah. yeah, like these are the people that McMurray was warning people about before the president. But see, I mean, they don't oh count God. as part of our community, yeah, according right. to them. You know, members if you've of got DSA the wrong politics. You're not a part of this community, right. according to McMurray. Right. If you're a poor black person, if you are an immigrant, or if you're one of these crazy radicals who believes those people are actually human, then you don't count as part of Huntsville's community. You don't deserve representation. And so he gets out here, he spreads these lies, and they were lies, and he knew they were lies. Uh, And there's yet to be any accountability for that. 
you know, Sheriff Turner and Madison, city of Madison, they won't even talk about it, period. Uh, so, yeah, he lost control. And I also want to just give credit to the many activists and organizers who spoke Thursday night. They were eloquent. They were brilliant. They were bold. Um, I don't know who this brother from Detroit was because that's the first time I've seen him speak, but I really want to get to know him. So if you're out there listening today, which I doubt you are because you're probably not going to listen to this station, I wouldn't. Uh, but if you are and you hear us, get in touch with me. Reach out to me because I want to I want to uh, talk to you some more. I mean, that, it's important. This guy's came in from Detroit, and he was he was just right on point. Speaking and, from the heart. Yeah, Yeah, and we need more people like him in the community you know so i think it can be overemphasized enough that this report was used as a delay tactic by city leadership to say because you know ccjr tvpa all these organizations in the community have been pushing for criminal justice reforms since before george floyd's murder yeah uh, you know, Tennessee Valley Progressive Alliance was talking about decriminalization of marijuana and ex- expunging mar- marijuana arrests inside city limits well before this happened. Yeah, for um, several years. Yeah, so, you know, they use this as an excuse to not talk about any reform. Now they have the report, and they're going to have a work session next week. And uh, Angela Curry pointed, pointed this out in her citizen comments. So you spent two years talking about an amphitheater. You know, on University Drive, but you expect to fix all this in less than a week? Yeah. It took you 11 months to talk about two nights? Yeah. And I'm glad Mm -hmm. that they did because we have facts now. We have body camera footage showing police targeting innocent people, chasing after people trying to run away, showing Mm -hmm. where they were trapped. And quite frankly, it looked like an intentional effort. Pulling them out of cars that had done nothing wrong. They they were doing exactly what they were told, disperse. They try to get in their car to disperse, and they're yanked out of their car. Mm -hmm. And let me call out Mayor Battle real quick. Uh, Mayor Tommy Battle, who wanted it both ways. He wanted to show up in the afternoon, advertise that he was there in the afternoon, take a knee, uh, you know, so he could show that photo op to the rich Yankee capitalist who want to invest here mm-hmm. and show, oh, see, we're not really like Alabama. Don't put us, you know, don't right. think about Selma in the 60s. We're different now. So he did that. And then just a couple hours later, he I'll gets to do a whole nother photo op for his friends in the White House, his friends Mo Brooks, mm-hmm. Donald Trump, to see, look, we know how to treat these, you know, hippies and radicals out in the streets. Yeah. Unleash yeah. the it's, dogs. Uh, so I truly believe in my heart of hearts this was premeditated. This yeah. was a planned police riot. Dude, you don't bring that me. I was watching the video. I didn't come over that night, but I was at home watching the live video. There was an endless line of state trooper i mean literally mm-hmm. hundred i didn't even know that the state employed that many troopers coming yeah. down the road i mean it was those were insane. your tax dollars at yes. work folks yeah. your tax yes. dollars at work uh, and this report also dispelled the rumors that there were people uh buying up bricks and mm-hmm. you know well, acid and it goes back and, to what jacob was saying and it needs to be reiterated and reiterated over and over again that it was a peaceful demonstration and the only pro out of all of this craziness that the police want to claim was happening the only property damage was a window shot out by the police. Mm-hmm. So if it was, you know, if it was such insanity, where's all the where's all the injured police officers? Where are all of the destruction of property at? You know, there there is none. Well, and I 
one thing I will distinctly remember from that night, June 3rd, is I was sick and I was watching it at home and uh, saw a live stream with Channel 19, WHNT. They had a young black female reporter on the ground. They were live streaming on the ground while uh, Jerry Hayes, their longtime uh, anchor, was on TV telling you not to believe your lying eyes. He was already painting the narrative of radical Antifa, uh, going over Chief McMurray's talking points. I guess hoping that you listen to him and not actually watch the video of his own damn reporter trying to avoid tear gas and pepper spray. Right. So, you know, you saw this collusion of various members of the Huntsville, you know, in North Alabama elite to attack innocent people, armed agents of the state. And now if you have a don't tread on me flag. Yeah. If yeah. you don't want to be tread on, who the hell do you think's treading on you? Yeah. These people are dressed like stormtroopers and yeah. attacking middle-aged women who brought their kids to demonstrate because they believe that police brutality should come to an end. So that's how you meet a protest over police brutality is with more police brutality. Well, and you want to paint ourselves as some kind of smart, progressive city. I think one of the things that that the, that the don't tread on me folks should take away from this, if there if if there's one important thing that both sides can agree upon, is the lack of accountability mm-hmm. in the police department. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying that defund the police or anything else. If you don't believe in that, that's fine. But there should, at the bare minimum, there should be some community accountability within the police department. Our yeah. taxpayer dollars goes to fund these things. And you, you should not, no one should be able to do what they want uh, ad, ad nauseum and walk away from it without having to answer questions. I yeah. mean, I, if I'm at my job and, and I destroy a piece of property accidentally or not, I'm going to have to go sit in an office and explain my actions. What caused this? Whether you know, and if it's an accident, that's great. But if it's not, then you need to be held accountable for your actions. And then that's one thing that the right preaches consistently yeah. is accountability. Personal responsibility. Yeah, and that's one of the yet prob- we're not Yeah, allowing- that's one of the problems that people ostensibly have with unions is that, oh, you know, oh, you don't have enough accountability. And, like, there is not a single union workplace where if there's uh, an allegation of misconduct or you're not doing your job where the workers can just say, I'm not gonna com- I'm not gonna comply with your investigation. I'm not gonna do I'm not gonna say anything at all. Like you've got like there's got to be some amount of cooperation and uh and 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 accountability there, and there is in every other profession except law enforcement. Yeah. So I, I and I want to be fair here that the report also demonstrated that there were police officers on the ground who realized what was happening was not was crazy. Uh, you know, they were called on camera saying these guys were peaceful. They were called on camera, Huntsville Police Department, wondering what the hell the Madison County Sheriff's was up to. Why were they escalating the situation? Uh, many of the police officers clearly demonstrated that they were confused. They didn't know uh, what their expectations were for this kind of event. Uh, but, you know, here's another one I want to make sure people see from this report. Uh, one video shows an officer asking another group of IRT officers. Now, IRT is basically like their riot control. Mm. So he goes up to the uh, group of riot control officers and asks, are you guys the arrest team? 
One of the Huntsville officers in this riot team responded, quote, no, we F people up. Now, that's your tax dollars there. Yeah. A squadron of people there to F people up, people who were peaceful, yeah. people who were simply demanding that the Accountability. Police, accountability. Mm-hmm. Not even justice, but accountability. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. That's, it, it's uh, infuriating. It is a, an embarrassment to the city and to the region. And and you know it's important to point out that you know one of the one of the takeaways was the 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 own police officers on the body camera said we're not trained, we're not trained Absolutely. for this. You know, so you've got these IRT people, these stormtroopers dressed up in all of this uh, bulletproof gear with five five sixes, ARs, and you're not trained. I mean, it's apparent you weren't trained oh, yeah, because you you, is- you got your sights mm-hmm. set into the crowd to, to execute people, but also the people on the ground, not trained, not trained. Mm-hmm. So where's the accountability? And we're saying this because Huntsville, you've got to hold these people accountable. It, you know, the, it, everything went fine this time other than some ripped apart calves and busted up windows. But what well, happens the next time? Well, yeah. and let me say this. We had a councilwoman, and I, I don't think she meant it quite the way it came out, but she actually remarked in her comments Thursday night that she was glad it didn't escalate more and it wasn't worse and that nobody was killed. Now, how absurd is that? That we have to be grateful yeah. that yeah. no one gets killed kill at a peaceful protest. Yeah. Are we at that point in a supposedly free country with yeah. a supposedly small government? We have to be grateful we're not murdered. Yeah, yeah, by the same people that are supposed to be protecting us. Yeah, yeah. From I mean, who? It's a, protecting well, us from who? Adam, didn't you say that in the in the report there was a quote from a cop that was basically admitting that oh, there's no reason for us to be here. Like, yes, uh, uh, yes. I mean, the report documented lots of police officers who weren't sure why they were there, uh, and also could set, could tell that other officers were escalating the situation. Uh-huh. Uh, and one of the saddest ones was where an officer was actually being mocked and you know joked on by fellow officers because he wasn't being violent enough. Jeez. <laughs> this person clearly realized, you know, this protester was not a threat. There's no need for me to pepper spray them in the face, and he's getting made fun of by the other cops around him hopefully he realized that he's in the wrong profession yeah i hope so too i mean sadly you know those are the people we should want right someone who actually has a heart Mm -hmm. and empathy what if i was on the other side of this pepper spray yeah what if it was my child being shot with a rubber bullet yeah but that goes back to the point we made earlier uh and it comes through loud and clear in this report that among a large section of the officers there and certainly among the leadership the people giving them orders they did not view those protesters as part of the community right they did not did not view them as their neighbors and their fellow human beings yeah. and that's what's disgusting about it and this city runs on federal funds yeah. this city runs on and and you know i know i'm gonna make some enemies with this but let's face it the military industrial complex is the economy of this region yeah Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I think there is some ties to that. I still want to know where did the Antifa rumors come from? Yeah. Who all was feeding those rumors? Uh, because that made the situation so much worse. I mean, you had businesses on Airport Road, miles away from downtown, yeah. thinking they had to board up their windows. Yeah, well, just completely asinine. I mean, so, because the report showed that the police were telling yeah. them that. Yeah. Right. So right. I don't know what to say. So what are what 
was the we've got like about a minute left. What are the next steps that this report laid out and that came out? At, like what what happens next? What happens next is that I believe uh, the 28th of next week, there's going to be a city council work session uh, where they're going to actually talk about what next steps, what are the uh, reforms to come out of this. Uh, but uh, I think we got to join up with our brothers and sisters, NCCJAR, TVPA, other groups pushing for change, uh, not just about the way they handle protests, but a way they operate criminal justice in this city. Yeah. Yeah, and I think yeah. one of the council po- people, I can't remember his name, the black gentleman that was on the far right, you know, he mentioned that he deals with this in his community every day, that this wasn't a two-day isolated event. Right. And I think that's important to point out right. that, yeah. that this isn't this didn't happen and end on that one day. His, well, yeah. his community members see this type of oppression every day. Right. Well, we've seen it more than just those two days. Yeah. Uh, I spoke at a Remove the Monument rally, and there were snipers up on the roof of the courthouse there for a for a, a rally that had like 50 people there. Uh, and at our Labor for Black Lives rally, where all the unions in the area came together, uh, there were cops on their scanners talking about how they wish they could shoot us. And then one of them came in and like corrected them and was like, "Yeah, we've got munitions. You know, we don't don't want to kill them." Basically, is what he was saying. But I mean, yeah, it's not just this one day incident uh so folks uh this is it for this week we will see you next week. wvnn athens wvnn fm trinity accumulus station it's 11 o'clock news starts now